the, the statement of, I cannot, like there's part of me, I just can't believe this has all happened. I can't believe Jesus did what he sought out to do, that he was willing to go through it. I think one of the funniest places in all of scripture is in Matthew 27, after Jesus had died, Pilate says, seal the tomb. Like you seal it the very best you can seal it. And I think in that moment, God and all the hosts of heaven were like, well, why don't we just help Pilate out? Send him some of that duct tape we'll invent later down the road. Send him a welder. Seal it the best you can because God knew nothing is going to keep the power of the resurrection from breaking out of that tomb and being unleashed all over the world. This is the best news we have. It's the best news for the world. I've had a lot of different emotions uh, we, uh, from Good Friday, our Good Friday service, from yesterday having a funeral here. So over the last few days, for many of us, there's been moments of laughter and joy, moments of sadness and grief, and yet somehow knowing that the rhythm of death, burial, and resurrection gives us this hope that transcends it all. <clears throat> Back in June, Casey and I had the chance to go to Rome for our 15th anniversary, we landed at 9 in the morning, and uh, we knew we did not need to go to bed, even though we were tired. So we went, and we uh, visited the Colosseum and walked the streets of Rome, and around 4.30, we were hungry. So we went, and we had—it was the best lasagna I've ever had in my entire life. Conversation ceased. I was focused on my meal. Halfway, have you ever eaten food that was so good? Halfway through, you're like, Jesus, just come back right now. Take me home in glory. This is so good. And, and we were eating this meal. And, you know, if you're tired and jet lagged and you eat pasta, you get tired quick. So by 6 p.m., Casey was asleep. She slept from 6 p.m. to 11 a.m. No lie, all right? You can do the math. I have a wife that is not afraid to tell you one of her hobbies is she loves to sleep whenever she can, all right? But this 6 p.m. to 11 a.m., I mean, there were times I would wake up and I would roll her over to make sure I was preventing bed sores on her, okay? Uh, but, but I don't sleep the way my wife does. I slept for a few hours and then I woke I was wide awake and I, I just, man, I'm in Rome and I knew that last fall I was preaching Romans chapter 8, so I opened up the book of Romans, and I read all of Romans in one setting. And I was so moved by reading Romans in Rome, knowing that I may not be walking the very same steps where Paul was, or where the Christians were, or where churches were set up, but I was really close to it. And it was this, this surreal moment for me to be reading it in that place. So I actually, I left the hotel room. I started walking the streets of Rome late at night while my wife is back sleeping. Now don't think I'm like overly spiritual or like super religious because I, I also took time to pull up Netflix and watch Gladiator that night. All right. So I watched Gladiator. I read Romans, but we toured these different places throughout Rome where you could see tombs and you could see where kings and emperors had been buried and where their bodies were set on fire and there were these parades and these memorial services and you could tour different places in the world and you can see where people have been buried and how museums have been set up but if you go to Israel they may show you where they think Jesus died or they think Jesus was buried but there's nothing there it's an empty tomb and it's an empty tomb because at one point it was an occupied tomb and it's an empty tomb because at one point there was an occupied cross that Jesus went to. Now, there are times where I, I, I'm fascinated by how people talk about death. I have two boys, they're 10 and 8, and I could tell you countless stories of some of the crazy things my boys can do or have done. 
Uh, <clears throat> lately, my eight-year-old Noah has prayed some prayers over dinner that has just moved our hearts because he's just opening up his heart to the Father, and it, it's beautiful. This past week, Truett did something that we were... We didn't even know he, he wrote this letter, but his teacher on Wednesday night had them write thank you letters to Jesus. And here's his. I just wanted to show it. Here's what Truett wrote. God, thank you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to help keep me away all my sins. You are the best. And while you are in heaven, I want you to tell Jenny that I miss her and I will see you when I die. Truett Ross, 10 years old. There are moments when your kids write stuff and you're like, I'm going to cherish that forever. Easter means something different when you've had loved ones pass away. And it made me reflect back on some of the things my sister wrote back in 2010 before she died. She threw a birthday party for herself, her last birthday. And, um, and so instead of people throwing a party and celebrating her life, she wanted to use her birthday to celebrate other people's lives. So she invited my mom, and of course her daughter was there with her, who was nine at the time, my grandmother, my aunt, and then all these other friends that my sister brought together for her own party. And she didn't just spontaneously speak words of blessing over them and words of prayer. She wrote them out, which we're so grateful for today. She saved them on her computer. And the last thing she said after she went around the entire room and spoke words of blessing and prayer over every single person was there, here's how she finished her time. She scripted this. She wrote it out. She said, I praise you, God, that you have blessed me with this specific cloud of witnesses. I am so favored by you for giving me them. It makes me want to fall back into your arms and takes this huge sigh to know when I die, it is many of these girls that will greet me uh, at the forefront to your glory in heaven and that maybe they will even be the ones who, uh, to vocalize to me and step aside to reveal my Savior as they beautifully and angelically say, Jenny, this is Jesus. And for those that pass after me, it will be such a great days in heaven to welcome them in and to give them some of their first heavenly hugs and kisses. And it's that phrase, and for those who pass after me. It makes me think of Dr. King. Because here in just a few days, a lot of people are descending upon our city. And a lot of people are celebrating the 50th anniversary of his death. And the impact it has had, <clears throat> not just on our country, but on the world. And you remember the night before he was assassinated, right here in our city. He stood up, and at the end of his sermon, Dr. King said, Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land, and I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And it's made me look and even Google at times to see what have other people said, not knowing the moment they were going to die, but about their death. But then it makes me think of all the things Jesus said about his own death. If you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't get very far where it begins to pick up momentum and how many times Jesus starts talking about his death, how he's going to die, and how he's going to die. And it was hard for people to wrap their minds around it. In the book of John, and I think this is really important, from John 14 through 17, Jesus teaches and preaches a lot. If you have a Bible with red letters, you'll see a bunch of red letters from John 14 to John 17. You can read it today and you can count it 15 times. 
And from John 14 to 17, Jesus talks about his death. And he also talks about how he's going to be leaving people, not just when he dies, but how his body after he is resurrected is going to ascend. His physical body is going to be leaving them 15 different times. Yet 26 times from John 14 through 17, Jesus tells them that he is going to leave them with the Holy Spirit. 15 times he talks about how he's leaving. 26 times he talks about how something even better is coming to you. That Jesus told them. He believed and he believed so much in the Holy Spirit. He's saying, when I go, something better is coming. You're going to be better off. Jesus was then and Jesus still is looking out for the very best for you. That Jesus wants you to know that everything he has with God communion, connection. He wants to dispense upon his people so that they can have the exact same thing. Jesus knew that he was giving his life for death, burial, and resurrection. He knew that in this and through this, there was power in his name. Sometimes I wonder if we believe there's power in the name of Jesus. Sometimes I wonder if we believe there's more power in a cup of coffee than there is in the mighty name of Jesus. Or power in a Netflix binge more than there is power in a Jesus gospel type binge. That there's power in his name. And there's power in his name and there's entrance in his name. Jesus' name is entrance for all humanity. Entrance into salvation. Entrance into redemption. Entrance into liberation. Entrance into the presence of God. Entrance into a better prayer life. In his name there is great entrance. And God, in and through Jesus, has accomplished everything God sought out to accomplish. Nothing was left undone. So um, over the next couple of days, I'm going to facilitate some meetings with our staff and probably with a few elders. And we're going to reflect back on this weekend from Good Friday service to our Easter services. And, and how did you see God move? And we're going to hear stories about what it was like for the teens to flower across. And I'm going to ask for them to share stories of how they saw God moving in the lives of people and how our services went. And they're going to start talking about, you know, the songs that we sung and words that were said. And Tisha Coleman needs to do communion every Easter and maybe just every Sunday. And then maybe she needs to preach a little more. And I'm going to be like, hey, let's, let's, let's stay focused on Easter. Easter, all right? And then we're going to talk about uh, all the things we did well, but what can we do better next year? What can we do better with our guest ministry and connection and welcoming people? After death, burial, and resurrection, there was no council in heaven having to sit around wondering, did we miss anything? Is there anything we should have done better? Everything God sought out to do he did, and he accomplished in and through Jesus. There was no need for reflection, no need for hindsight, no need for let's go back and let's do one, just one thing better. Everything God sought out to do, he did. And he accomplished in and through Jesus. His name is Entrance. There are times when people have asked, Josh, at what point, at what, what was the exact point when the victory was won? Was it when Jesus died or breathed his last breath on the cross? Was it on Easter Sunday morning when Jesus first came back to life? At what point was the victory over darkness won? And if you read the New Testament, the response is, yeah. Kind of like, yeah. There are times when it says that the victory on the cross is when it was won. Or when Jesus died is when it was won. It was this event that just dealt darkness, this blow. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, it says this. 
this has become one of my favorite passages when it comes to what Jesus did and what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And when you were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. I love verse 15. Underline this if it's not underlined in your Bible. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. He disarmed, he tore apart. It makes me think of movies or TV shows. Maybe you've seen Jack Bauer, you watch those where there's a bomb that's like in a subway or something, and they've got to disable it. And if you watch any TV show or movie, they never do that with five minutes left, right? It's always like the last three seconds which wire do we cut? The red or the green? The blue. All right, let's, let's vote on it. Okay, here, we cut this one. If, there, if you were ever watching a TV show or a movie and there was a bomb and someone dismantled it with 11 minutes left, you would look at somebody and you'd be like, that is so unrealistic. I mean, <laughs> nobody ever does that. And here's this image of Jesus. Here's what he did to darkness. He disabled it, disarmed it. Darkness thought it was setting off this bomb that was just going to destroy all the work of God, yet it's Jesus who took hold of everything darkness wanted to do and just stripped it bare. Now, as he talks about this whole triumphing thing, which is talked about in other places in the New Testament, the way this would work in the first century is Roman soldiers, after they were coming back from a foreign campaign or some battle or war, they would take the slaves from those places would chain them up. They would drag them through the streets. They would parade them. It was like this victory. It was this triumphal parade. And they would make a spectacle of them. As they walked them down the streets, it was a spectacle. They were putting them on display. And what they would do with the cross was very similar to that. Jesus and the people who died next to him on that Friday a couple thousand years ago, they were not the only people who died on Roman crosses. Tens of thousands of people died on Romans' crosses. And it was Rome's way of saying, if you turn your back against Rome or do something that doesn't honor Rome, this same thing's going to happen to you. And it was Rome's way of putting people up on these, these, these crosses. And it was a spectacle. It was meant for humiliation and shame. And, and it was, hey, this person is on display. And when Jesus went to the cross, what happened is he was there. The Roman soldiers put him there. The, uh, the, the religious leaders put him there, our sins put him there, and the powers of darkness thought that what they were doing by this kind of death is that they were humiliating God, God's heart, God's character, God's plan. This is why I think the powers of darkness, they didn't think about, let's take out Jesus with a quick death. It's not going to be a beheading or you know, something where he dies quickly. We want something that is slow and humiliating. So for Jesus to go up on this cross, the powers of darkness were beginning to applaud, thinking that killing Jesus was detrimental to God's plan, that the impact this would have on heaven and on God's people would be enormous. Yet when Jesus breathed his last, something else happened, that a force was released, sin was strangled, the powers of darkness was crushed, God was victorious. Hands of heaven were raised. There was an applause from heaven. They knew something had happened. A victory had been won. Can I just, can somebody just clap? Amen. Thank God for what he has done in and through this. That in and through this, Jesus disarmed everything evil set out to do. So my favorite way to even think about the cross now is a phrase, Christus Victor. 
That what Jesus accomplished was atoning for your sin, but it was more than just atoning for your sin. It was Christ. He won a victory over everything evil tried to do for him. And in winning this victory, this is so important, it was not just a way to release you from sin. It was also to usher people into a glorious, adventurous life. Because sometimes I think in Christianity, we talk to people about how to be forgiven of sin, but we don't talk enough about what it means to move from that place and to live in the adventurous life that comes in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus made a public example of darkness, a spectacle of it. Jesus stepped into the middle of evil so that you do not have to. Jesus did not toss some divine missile or grenade into evil to take it out. He tossed himself. Jesus knew that to take out sin and death, he had to take on sin and death. He went ahead of us into the darkest places. He took the guilt that should have been upon us. Jesus desired to make a way for us to have eternal life. So he took upon himself the poison of the world. He was infected with the poison that we should have to carry so that we could be released from all of it. So when you catch an image of the crucified, resurrected Jesus, that is what it looks like when God becomes king. It's the image of God becoming king. That Jesus' dead body was carried into a tomb, but it wasn't carried out of a tomb. He walked out of it. You don't get an image in the Bible of anybody seeing Jesus alive in the tomb because he left it behind. He walked out of it. And what happened to Jesus is what God wants to do for us. The resurrection is not just something that happened. It's something that still happens every single day. And this story of death to life, I think this is the favorite song heaven loves to sing is death to life. I think when the creatures in heaven and worship leaders, whoever they are in heaven, come before God each day, like, God, what songs do you want us to sing today? And I think God is saying, I want you to sing more songs about how I bring things from death to life. When the writers come and they're like, God, what do you want us to write about today? And God's like, more songs about death to life. And you keep singing them and you keep writing them until people come to understand that the will of God is not to make bad people into good people or bad people into nice people. The will of God is to make people who are dead into people who are alive in every kind of way, every way imaginable. So I love some of the questions Tisha tossed out earlier. Do we believe in this story? Do we believe in it? Have we surrendered to it? Have we confessed that this is the story we want to live under? But here's another question. What is the impact this story wants to have on my everyday life? What is the impact resurrection wants to have on my everyday life? Because Jesus is setting us free from something and he's also leading us into something. I get to walk with people almost every single day who are dealing with some form of sin in their lives. And some people realize it and they want release. And some people are living in it and they just want somebody to speak a word of affirmation over it. And then I walk with people, maybe not every day, but occasionally where people believe that they have been forgiven of their sin, but they are carrying around the weight and the guilt of their sin. And it's weighing them down and keeping them from an adventurous life. A few months ago, I came across a story, I was not aware of this, that there's a little known fund within the U.S. Treasury Department called the Conscience Fund. And what this is, is that people over the years have, who have cheated the government, and in a way to, they couldn't deal with the guilt anymore, they have sent in money or things they cheated the government of in a way to pay the government back. 
And I'm not just telling this story because tax deadline is coming up in a couple of weeks, all right? But to this day, this just started not too long ago. Over $10 million has been sent in from Americans because of this conscience fund. The New England Journal of Medicine, which estimated that as much as 80% of all illnesses are emotionally related or stress-induced. And in the same research, what they said is one report estimated that 70% of people in hospitals would be able to leave if they knew how to resolve their guilt. How can we just get rid of everything that is weighing us down to live this life with God? So in John chapter 11, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he speaks word over, words over him to bring him to life. Here's what Jesus says. You know, tell him to come out. Lazarus had been dead for four days. And what you read in John eleven forty four is the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Yet Jesus didn't leave it there. What he says is, Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. And I think Easter Sunday is a great day for us to think about what is it that still reflects death, that we have allowed to stay on us, that Jesus needs to release us from so that we can live in life with God. I think he is still speaking over us. Hey, unbind him. Take that off so that you can live in greater freedom. Uh, We had a funeral here yesterday. We lost a 42-year-old man in our church who died in a house fire a couple of weeks ago. And I stood on this stage, and I looked down at Sharonda, this young widow, room full of people. It was just an amazing day. God God did some amazing things. And one thing I told her is, I think Roman, when he experiences the glory as he has experienced, he would want you to know, you get to make a decision every single day, are we going to live in victory, or are we going to live defeated? And when I look around, I see a lot of Christians who live more like they are defeated than they have been given great victory. Uh, Defeated as, man, can you see all the things happening in our culture? It seems like Christianity is on a decline. Can you believe what the news said the other day and this and that? Look, I think what you need to do for the next week is some of you need to get your noses out of your Facebook addictions and your Fox News addictions and your CNN addictions and your MSN addictions and you need to immerse yourself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and surrender to God and cry out to God and see how God is going to bring things to life in you. Now some of you are like, man, did he really just go there? Man, he t- <laughs> Because we are not called to live defeated, but in victory. Now here's the thing about living victorious. When we live in victory, it does not mean the absence of pain. It doesn't mean the absence of hurt. When you see victory speeches that come from Olympians or athletes or people at the Grammys or Oscars, when they stand up in front of microphones and they celebrate whatever victory they have won, they they are bearing witness to blood and sweat and grind and tears and hard work and lots of practice. Victory is not the absence of pain. It's not the absence of hard work and the grind. We have been called into this victory with Jesus that calls us into this life where there is a grind and we remain faithful because Jesus remains faithful. And what God did for Jesus, he wants to do for all of us. Can we stand together? We're going to sing a couple of songs. We have uh, elders and prayer leaders stationed throughout our room to receive you for prayer. If you need someone just to pray a prayer for God to bring something to life in you, 
Maybe this is a day where someone in this room is yet to surrender a life to Jesus and be baptized into Christ. We invite you to come up front. We would love to celebrate this as a new birth for you. Did you know that in the early church, that Easter Sunday became for them what New Year's Day is like for us? Easter Sunday was full of baptisms, but it wasn't just for non-believers. Easter Sunday, for people in the early church, was also for believers. It was a new year for them. It was a time of renewed commitment. And what Jesus did and all he's accomplished, and he's a, like, bring this fire into us to realize we have been given this great victory and we're called to live in this great victory. Romans 8.37 says this, that despite all these things, despite every form of death, persecution, tribulation, despair that may come in your life, we are over, we have overwhelming victory. We are more than conquerors because of Christ's love for us. And can I invite you before we sing this next song, can you just lift a victorious hand in the air today? It's all right. Some of you may have relatives that are rolling over in their grave right now, all right? But this is the posture of heaven, a posture of victory, not defeat. And what Romans 8, how it ends is this, that I am confident, I am convinced today that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears about today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There is nothing in the sky above or on the earth below. There is nothing in all of creation that can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the whole church said... Amen. Let's sing together.